Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we would study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is Saturday, the 28th of January, 2023. My name is Maria F, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I'm your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Nancy J, Sue L, Audrey N, and Nancy J. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, you can contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by using the private message fund, um, in the chat function. And please note that our speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the Q&A sessions which follows, that will not be recorded. So please feel free to answer, ask Harlan any questions you have during that time. And we'll post a link to the previous week's recording for <clears> the chat <throat> function. You can access them through YouTube or through the Wixit site. And we can ask you if you could please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also to please turn off your video if you're exercising, you're eating, or if you need to step away from the screen for any reason, please do disconnect your camera. So we'll now go over to Harlan G in Scottsdale in Arizona. Hi, Harlan. Hi, Maria. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate being here today. What a treat. Um, Glad to see everybody. Just a couple of housekeeping reminders before we bust open uh, page 72, the chapter into action. First matter of housekeeping is March the 12th. March the 12th, when you wake up, is a Sunday. That is the start of daylight savings time. So that means that our meetings in the state of Arizona will begin one hour earlier. I will adjust my time on Saturday mornings so you don't have to. What I will do is in the, in the winter, I start an hour later. In the summer, I start an hour earlier. But if you're in the state of Arizona, these meetings will begin one hour earlier. On our Sunday through Friday meetings, if you're not in the state of Arizona, those meetings will begin one hour later. So if you're on Eastern time, they will start at 8.30 p.m. rather than 7.30 p.m. Also, little note here, on March the 25th, I will not be here. I will be in Dallas, well, actually Richardson, Texas. So I'm going to be doing a one-day seminar on the big book in Richardson, Texas. We'll have two speakers that are going to be uh, here in my place on that date. But if you're in the area of the Metroplex, you're in the area of Dallas, Texas, come on down. I don't have the information, but if somebody wants to go on the Dallas OA website and post that in the chat, that would be sublime. That's uh, March 25th. We're going to be in Dallas. I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas. Now, one other note, I know I'm giving you some a, a nice amount of warning. 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of April, I'm going to be doing a big book workshop in Silicon Valley, California. This retreat center is right on the Pacific Ocean. I mean, literally, you spit and you're in the ocean from where we have the retreat. For information on this, go to San Jose Overeaters Anonymous. That's San Jose Overeaters Anonymous. Okay. Uh, last week, 
and and the previous weeks, we have been talking about step number four. And we talked about the columnar design of the fourth step that for fear, for excuse me, for resentments, it's four columns, for fears, it's four columns, and for sexual harms done others, it's five columns. If you need a review of the columns, please feel free to go back a couple of podcasts ago and re-listen to the sections on the resentment inventory, the fear inventory, the sexual harms inventory. You, If you need a review, I'm not going to take time up today to go into another review of it because it's all on that podcast for you to listen to at your own pace and at your own time. Today, we're going to focus on one of the steps that's not the sexiest step to talk about, not my favorite step to talk about, but it is a step that we really need to talk about, and that is step number five. So with no further ado, let's go to page 72. And if we notice this chapter, it's called Into Action. And for all of you that said, I bet he's going to say, it's not into thinking, it's not into understanding, it's into action. He's going to mention that. You were right. See how smart you guys are? You are absolutely right. There is a chapter of the, I'm glad I'm getting a laugh out of some of you because I don't know, some of my humor lately just isn't landing. But anyway, um, the bottom line is, You've heard me say this a million times. This is not a program for people who need it. This is not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. And this is an action program, not about what you understand, not about what you know, not about what you think, not about how you feel. It's about what you do. You want recovery? Stop thinking, start doing. Stop thinking, start doing. Okay. Let's go to page 72. We've done our fourth step. We have it done. Now we say to our sponsor, I'm done. Now what are we going to do? Okay. Now let's go to page 72. And let's remember that finding someone to hear your fifth step is a lot easier today than it was back in 1939. Through the spread of this program and the spread of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it becomes very easy to find somebody. But let's go to page 72 and let's see what was on their mind back in April of 1939 when the big book was first published. Into action. Having made our personal inventory, step four, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. What are the obstacles in our path? The obstacles that are in my path are the character defects that I revel in. I revel often in self-pity. I revel often in anger. I revel in fear. I revel in lying to myself about the reality of different situations. And so these character defects have reared their ugly head to commit arson into my life, to, to vandalize and just destroy many, many 
many years of my life. And what I, what I want to do is I want to take stock of these defects of character. How do I best do that? By doing a step four. By doing a step four, we can now get down to the nuts and bolts. Doing a step four is just like taking the hood up on my car. Let's look at the engine. Let's really look at what's going on here. We have admitted certain defects. Like I admit, I'm a little immature. I'm a little dishonest. I'm a little angry. I'm whatever it is, but I don't get down on my own as to what's really going on. Why do I need a sponsor? Why do I need all of you? What can you provide me that I so desperately need? And what you provide me that I so desperately need is objectivity. Objectivity is so important because I can't see the forest through the trees. Two fish are swimming in the lake. A third older fish comes over and says, hey boys, the water's great today. One turns to the other and says, hey, what's water? They've been swimming it in all their lives. They would die if they weren't in the water, yet they don't even know what water is. And so often that is my life in a little scenario. I'm so entrenched in the, in the pit, in the cave that my defects have dug for me. I don't even know it until someone comes along and says, oh, you need to do this, this, and this. Oh, you need to look at this, this, and this. And that's why I so desperately need each and every one of you. And I so desperately need sponsorship. What does a sponsor provide me? Statements on the very obvious and objectivity. If he never gave me a wise word again, and he's given me many, he gives me objectivity and he gives me statements on the most obvious. And so these are the things, that's why I probably have a, uh, like a mark right here on my forehead from going like this, boom, oh my God, yes, you're right. Oh my God, you know, it's like it's like anything else. I, I Oh, wow, I could have had a V8, what the heck? All right, we have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. What is the trouble? The trouble is my life just isn't working. My life just is not working. <clears throat> we have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. What are the weak items again? They're my defects. These are just other words for the defects of character. Don't perseverate on what's the difference between weak items and obstacles. What's the difference between weak items, obstacles, and, and uh, defects? They are the same thing. Now these are about to be cast out. Do they get cast out permanently? No, because guys, no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I'm going to be under the gun of fear and anger and, and 
dishonesty and selfishness. I want what I want. I'm a human being. Of course I want. That's what helps us survive. And these defects of character to a very large degree were survival mechanisms for us. If I didn't lie, if I didn't cut corners, if I wasn't scared, I don't know what I would have been because to one degree or another, this is how I survive the world. I lied to myself about the absolute abuse that I was getting from the world because of my weight. I lied to myself about my size or I would have killed myself. I lied to myself about lots of things. Am I condoning that now? No, now I'm a different person. Not only do I want to be a different person, but because of the recovery that I've enjoyed, I am a different person. And so I don't have to think that because I can't permanently purge out these, these defects of character, that somehow I'm doing something wrong. That's why we have steps 10. That's why we have, you know, that's why we have step 10. Step 10 gives me a vehicle with which to lower the level of the emotional buildup that I am plagued with when I feel guilt or shame or remorse or fear or anger or any of these various human things, these, these defects that are very common to human beings. But step 10 is my mechanism. Yes, I'm going to ask in six and seven, we'll get to that. But the bottom line is I'm not going to be permanently cleansed of these defects of character. And that's why it's so very, very important that we never see the steps as an event but we see them as a process. We trudge the road of happy destiny. We don't arrive at a place of happy destiny. We walk hand in hand with our creator. We don't arrive at a place with our creator. Does that, so I hope that kind of makes sense, that the steps are not an event, that the steps are a journey. And when well taken, we can have an infinitely better life than anything we had before. We have the opportunity to live two lives in one lifetime, one the life of someone that has the disease and one the life of someone that enjoys the recovery. It is purely a rebirth. It is purely a rebirth of spirit, of mind, of body. It is the most beautiful thing to witness in another human being. Let's continue. This requires action on our part, <clears throat> which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of the defects. What is the nature of the defects? The nature of the defects is in what I did to harm other people, what I did to, to create this fear, what I did to harm other people sexually. The resentments that I have were born of not getting my way in, 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 you know, in the past. The fear is the product of me worrying, am I not going to get my way in the future? Because selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of self-delusion, self-pity. <clears throat> we step on the toes of our fellows 
and they retaliate. Does that sound familiar? I read those words every morning. They are page 60 to 63. They are part of my morning 11th step. Very, very important words. Let's continue. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. <clears throat> we think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is, there is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. And this is the meat and potatoes of it, that a solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. What does that mean? A solitary self-appraisal that proves insufficient. A solitary means by myself, I'm going to appraise what I read, what I wrote down in the fourth step. No, that's not going to work, unfortunately. That just, well, actually it's fortunate because it puts me in touch with other people. But the bottom line is still this. I alone am not equipped to use objectivity on the events of my life. I don't have that objectivity. It is not given to me by God, nor it, can it be achieved. I need the input of another human being, another person. Very, very important. We just got through talking about that. What is it that I most desperately need from my fellow in program? Objectivity. Let's continue. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reason why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Let me amend that. If you skip this vital step, you will not overcome your addiction. It's not going to happen because what the product of this is is that step five and step nine are going to become the great emancipators. What does that mean, the great emancipator? They are going to emancipate you from where you were so that you can look the world in the eye. You will be able to look the world in the eye. And as such, you will begin to taste one of the sweetest things you've ever tasted in your entire life. And that is freedom. To know freedom is to know recovery. And to get freedom, I have to do the work. And the work in OA is very tough, but the wages are very, very high. I am in places today in my life that I never could have got to there. I could never could have seen, nor could I have got to on my own volition. I had to have God's help. And in order to have God's help, I needed the information in this step to point me in the direction of where I needed to get to work. In the aftermath of my divorce, in the aftermath of a breakup, in the aftermath of a business it didn't collapse, but it went down dramatically. In the aftermath of, of so many things in my life, I do inventory. And these inventories teach me who I am. Do I still make mistakes? Oh boy, do I. Do I still wish I could be more perfect? 
boy, do I. But you know what? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing okay. I could be doing a lot worse. And it's because of these inventories that I've learned more about myself than I could have learned in any other way known to man. There is no way I could peek under the hood of my own life and get an idea how immature, how selfish, how fearful, how angry, how dishonest I am, not was, am, until I got a picture of this inventory. Very revealing, very revealing. The best, re okay, sorry. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. And the easier method that we turned to years ago, and we're going to be reading these words soon, is we used to write autobiographies, or we would do anything but the fourth step. They had all kinds of things that were circulating years ago. I think some of them are still circulating. And what they were, were essentially an alternative to step four. And that can be very dangerous, bordering on, bordering on harmful, because the four-step inventory is so effective that to water it down is really not a great idea for me. Might be a great idea for somebody else, not a great idea for me. I need a complete, comprehensive, objective look at who I am and what motivates me to be the person that I am. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Almost invariably, they got drunk, top of 73. So almost invariably, they got drunk. The minute I tell myself there's steps or things I'm not going to do, like I have people, I bet I get this call once a week, twice a week, people who will not sponsor. And I say to them, you're skating on dangerous ice. This is a 12-step program, not an 11-step program. Well, I'm scared. No, you're not scared of sponsoring. You're scared of not doing it perfect. And oh yeah, you get a you get a very loud, very very loud, almost a visceral reaction from them over the phone because you've hit that nerve. They don't want to sponsor because they can't do it perfectly, and we are immature, sensitive, rebellious perfectionists by our nature. Immature, sensitive perfectionist rebels by our nature. Don't worry about doing the perfect fourth step. Don't worry about doing the perfect fifth step. Just get it done. Having preserved what, having persevered, sorry, with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. What step is the house cleaning? Step number four, get it done as quickly as you can, do the best you can. Don't worry about doing it perfectly. God is not going to put your fourth step up on his refrigerator. You're not going to get in front of a group of people and presented a PhD in fourth step. Just get the thing done. Use the columns. Use the known effective method, knock it out, get it done, knock it down, and let's go. Let's continue. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. 
In other words, there were things they just didn't want to put down about who or what they resented, who or what they fear, or sexual harms done others. Remember that short of first degree murder, there's nothing I haven't heard. There's absolutely nothing your sponsor hasn't heard. If they've been around the block for a while, they really get it that we're just human beings. And the ego plays in here because the ego has three jobs essentially make me right make me make me right make me feel good right now i'm going to have those twinkies every everything and everybody else be damned and i'm going to and and the other the third job of the ego i can't talk today the third job of the ego is make me different from everybody else so in our ego's tempestuous desire to kill us to destroy us um, it Well, it really doesn't want to do that. It thinks it's doing us good, but that's for another time. The bottom line is by making me different from everybody else, that terminal uniqueness is going to kill me. That terminal uniqueness will get in my way. I'm just another bozo on the bus. That's all I am. I'm just another bozo on the bus. Let's continue. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. Now, the OA program that you are a member of now in 2023 is quite a different program than the one I landed in when I was 24 years old in 1979. In February, February 2nd of 1979, which is coming up Thursday, I believe that is, and on Thursday, February 2nd, which is George Hallis's birthday, do you all know who George Hallis was? If you don't, you should. He was the founder of the Bears, and he owned the Bears, and his daughter was Virginia Hallis, and she married a guy by the name of McCaskey, and they own the Bears today. But George Hallis's birthday was February 2nd. You should write that down. And it's also Groundhog's Day, but it's also the date that I came into this program in Skokie, Illinois, on a freezing cold mother effer of a night. Holy mackerel, was it cold and icy and miserable. And I came in and that's going to now be 44 years ago, 44 years. Oh my God in heaven, where in the world did 44 years go? Oh my Lord in heaven. Well, it's been 44 years. And let me tell you, it's been an interesting journey. If you're just getting started, buckle up because it's going to be interesting. Now, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, we had a multitude of pamphlets and booklets and all this stuff, but somebody read these words where you tell your life story. We tell someone else all our life story. So what started happening in OA is we said, we don't need to do these stinking four steps. We're just going to write down our autobiographies. And I remember there was a guy 
And he came with me to Greenbrier Park on a Saturday afternoon, and we read my autobiography. And that poor soul, that poor man, he had to listen to the story of my life as I meandered through my prose and told him all about my life. And at the end of it, he went home and I went to a place called Wolfie's, which is on Peterson Avenue, which was is a hot dog stand there and ate my head off because I just didn't get any relief from what we had done. But if you really think about it, if I know your resentments and I see the patterns, we're going to be talking about that today, patterns of resentment, patterns of fear, and patterns of sexual harms done others, I know more about you than you imagine. And I am going to listen to your fourth step, but we don't sit and write an autobiography because the four step inventory is more revealing than the prose that you would probably write if you had that opportunity to write out your autobiography and give it to me and substitute for it and substitute it for your four step inventory. So when we see how this goes. And we're going to talk about that right now. And I want to talk about this right now because it's so important. I don't want to be that pushed for time. When we sit down to do step five, I want to talk about some of the mistakes that I see made all the time and some of the things that are done that might be done a little differently if you'll just sort of open your mind to those things. The first thing that I see are people trying to do a fifth step when they haven't completed or correctly done their fourth step. They haven't done all three sections. Another thing that I think is something to look at is People do it piecemeal. They do the resentment section this Saturday and they do the fear section next Saturday. And the Saturday after that, they do the sexual harms done others. When you can, if you, if you think about it, you can get it done as quickly as is possible. And if you're around me, you know that I'm a huge believer that the process of the steps is most effectively done when done quickly rather than a protracted basis. Very important to get it done. What happens to that person when one week goes by and they do the next section, then another week goes by and they do do the next section. What happens to that person is they're not moving forward in the steps. They're dieting with group support. They're just sort of hanging on and they're going home. And in most cases, they're just stark, raving, abstinent. You have to keep moving forward in the steps to most effectively get benefit from the process. And that is most effectively and efficiently done when it's done quickly. Now, when you are listening, and let's assume at this point, you are listening to a complete and well done, correctly done fourth step. What are some of the things that we can look at? Well, one of the things is to point out patterns of what you see and of what you hear. What do I mean by that? 
it seems to me that the two most impactful subjects for someone as they live their life are finance and romance finance and romance. But oftentimes there's a third and that third subject or that third sort of subheading is not too far behind finance and romance. And that is, what do people think of me? And we get so trapped and we get so cornered by, oh my God, what are people thinking of me? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't know about you, but here's what I found out about me. You know what most people are thinking about me most of the time? Absolutely freaking nothing. Absolutely freaking nothing. That's what they're thinking about me. Not because I'm a bad person, not because I'm horrible or whatever. I'm, I'm, I've got cooties or whatever. They're not thinking about me because the, the, the nature of the human being is more, our default mode is more self-involvement than it is, you know, thinking about other people like that. So when we listen to that fifth step, we're going to hear some patterns that the resentments in your life were over finance and romance, that the fears in your life were usually over finance or romance, that the sexual harms done others, maybe not so much finance or well, romance, but finance. But yes, sometimes, yes, sometimes we get involved in these sexual things because of of money. We want to move up in the company or we want the promotion or we want the job or we, you know, whatever that might be. So you have to, when you're listening, I'm not talking about the person reading their fourth step. I'm talking about the sponsor or the person listening to the fifth step. You're there to point out patterns and you're there to be an encourager. What do I mean by an encourager? We are very given most of the time to be hypercritical of others. We're very good at being critical. What we're not always good at is a pat on the back, a stroke, something that lets the other person know that they're doing a great job. How hard is it to say to a person, you know, that's really interesting the way you phrase that. I would agree. And this ties into this, this, and this giving a person a little bit of a of a pat on the back is one of the most effective one of the most fantastic and one of the most god loving things you can do we are so given often to the kick in the pants that we forget about the pat on the back tell the person that they've done a great job you know what? They've done something that they were frightened to do. They were scared and they're scared as they're reading it to you. They really don't know what you're thinking, which leads us to another point. If you are listening to a fifth step, this is words that will comfort. There's words that sell and words that unsell. There's words that comfort and there's words that put people at tremendous, tremendous uh, disadvantage because you're scaring the crap out of them. One of the most comforting phrases you can utter if you are listening to someone's fourth step is, I had that happen to me too. And talk about yourself for no more than 30 seconds. Let them know that not only do you understand what they're saying, but let them know that you had that experience as well. It is not so much information. 
it's identification, one to the other. Very, very important to extend that identification to the person that is doing their fourth step. You don't wanna make the person feel like they're the only ones that have experienced this, 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 and this. And as I say, short of first degree murder, I've heard it all. There's nothing anybody could tell me in a fourth step that I, unless, as I say, unless it was first degree murder, I've heard everything there is to hear. And oftentimes when you say to the person, I really think you're doing a great job, don't patronize them. Don't, you know, you've got to walk that fine line. Don't patronize somebody and don't say it to them every three seconds. Do you ever, were you ever in a relationship where you say, I love you or something like that? And then like all every nine seconds, you're saying, I love you. I love you. It, you don't even hear it after a while. It becomes more of a, like a nuisance after a while. This is the same kind of thing. Don't patronize the person. Give the person this encouragement and have them move on. And this is the one of the later point or last points I want to make before we continue with the book. If you're the one listening to the fifth step, don't let them go on and on and on about why they hate their sister or why they hate their boss or why they hate their neighbor. It, you're, it's counterproductive. Don't let them go on and on. You have to be the adult in the room. You gotta keep it moving, guys. Keep it moving. Keep it going. You can say, let's continue. Let's continue. Let's move on. Find other ways to say to the person, let's continue, let's move on, because you want to ultimately get it done. There are several objectives to listening to a fourth step. And when you're doing step five, these are your objectives. The first objective is to, excuse me, your first objective is to point out patterns of behavior resentments, fears, sexual harms done others. What patterns are you hearing? Are most of their resentments born of finance? Are most of them born of romance? Are most of them born of their inherent dishonesty? Is it mostly their fear that is creating these resentments? So you want to point out patterns. That's your first job. Your second job is to be an encourager to them, to identify. Me too. Yes, I've experienced that too. And your third job is to keep it going, keep it moving. Let me say that again, because I can see by the looks on the 25 faces is here out of the ones 57 that are here um, that some of you are questioning this. Your first job is to hear and point out patterns of resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others. How do their resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others, how do they tally with patterns that you're hearing? Number two, identify with them. Identify. Yes, I found that too. Yes, I've heard lots of people talk about that. Yes, my life illustrates that too. And, and, and be an encourager, be an identifier. Very, very important without being patronizing. Okay. And number three, keep it moving. Keep it moving. You don't want to be there for 98 hours. 
it becomes if it when something in program becomes that difficult, guys, you're doing it wrong. Nothing here was intended to be difficult. We're not Sisyphus. You all know who Sisyphus was? He was a god, and Zeus got really mad at him. And Zeus got so mad at Sisyphus, he said, Hey, Sisyphus, you push that boulder up the hill, and when you get it up to the top, you can stop. Well, he never could get it up to the top because every time Sisyphus would get the boulder halfway up the hill, it would roll back down the hill. So there was no way. He's still pushing that boulder. He's still pushing that rock up the hill. He's still at it. We don't want to be Sisyphus. We want to get this done. See, we give you everything and we give you a little mythology. We give you a little whatever, you know, maybe a little Yiddish today, whatever. Oh, and that's another thing. The word emes in Yiddish means the truth. Emes means truth. Is the person bullshitting you? Very, very difficult to lie to a liar, steal from a thief, con a con man. It's very difficult to lie to a liar. If your alarm clock is going off, that you're being lied to, that they're presenting you and they're 50 years old and they have seven resentments or they're trying to con you because they did this in their other program or that in their other program. Uh, 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 uh. As my friend in Syracuse, New York says, my credits don't transfer. You lived it out, you write it down. You lived it out, you write it down. We're not going to make amends to people you've already made amends to, but you've got to search inside your soul. You've got, remember when I told you, you got to be the adult in the room? Are you being lied to? Are you being conned? Because if you are, you have the responsibility to say to that person, I don't accept this as a complete fourth step. I want you to go back and redo it. You have to be the adult in the room. I would rather hurt your feelings or make you mad than watch you die. I would rather have you live angry at me than die with me as your best friend. Does that make sense? I hope it does, because there have been times when people have made appointments with me to do step five, and I knew I was getting hoodwinked. And it took me a while to get the courage to say, this just does not ring true to me. There is something very wrong here. If you can't straighten this out, you're wasting your time with me because I do not accept the minutes as read. When I say I don't accept the minutes as read, what I mean is this just doesn't look kosher to me. So the Yiddish word of the day today is emes. Emes means the truth, truth as it really is. You know, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, there's my side, and then there's what really happened. But one of my favorite commercials today is there's a, a set of commercials where the guy, uh, they're arguing and the, the guy throws the red flag and they come out with the instant replay. And that's, those are some of my favorite commercials. My other one is, I love the commercial where the people are trying not to be their parents. I'm rolling on the floor every time I see that. And my parents were nothing like that. I don't know why I love those commercials so much, but I just do. All right. Shut up, Harlan, and let's keep going. Okay. Okay. Don't be so mean. All right. 
Page 73, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. Boy, there's one of the understatements of the century, huh? He is very much the actor to the outer world. He presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. There's the understatement of the year. I wrote a lot of bad checks when I was in my disease. I lied when the truth would have served me better. I manipulated. I stole. I... I did a lot of shameful things. I hurt the feelings of people that were very, very close to me, that loved me very, very much. You know, I'm very lucky in that I have wonderful friends, wonderful friends. I have been unlucky in certain areas, but in this area, I have struck gold. My friends loved me from the time we were little kids and I lied and I hurt them with my weight and my eating disorder. They were really afraid for me and I inconvenienced them because of what was going on. The, the absolute tornado of my life affected them negatively as well. And to this day, when I think back on it, and I don't think back on that every day or even every month or even every year, but when I do think back on the damage that I did, and I only know a little of the damage, you'll never, I'll never know all the damage that I did. But when I think back of the damage on the damage that I did, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm, I'm unbelievably embarrassed and ashamed of myself because I love these people and they love me. And yet I hurt them. And how did I hurt them? Lying manipulating, stealing, not getting into recovery, not doing what I knew I needed to do. All right, before recovery, I was a jerk and I didn't know what the hell was going on. But once they put a big book in my hand, once they took me to meetings, once all that was in place, I knew better, but I didn't always do better. And it brings a lot of pain into my soul when I think back on it. We all have things we wish didn't happen or things we wish did happen that didn't happen. That's part of the human condition. But when I often think back on how I hurt them, it brings me a lot of shame and it brings me a lot of guilt and it brings me a lot of anger at myself. And so part of my recovery is to come to peace with that, not only by making amends to those people, but never allowing myself to slip into the disease again so that they too will have to suffer from my eating disorder. They say the average alcoholic takes seven people with them to hell. I was taking a lot more than seven people to hell and I'm ashamed of it. And I wish that it hadn't happened. I'm so glad that every one of those people today can see me as a recovered man, a fraction of the weight that I used to be, they can see me as financially independent. 
They can see me more as an, I'm not really an adult. I'm a kid trapped in a big body. I'm really four years old or three years old. But the bottom line is I'm trying and I'm striving. And yeah, I'm childlike at certain times. But when I need to be, I can buck up usually and become an adult. And that's all they would have asked for me. That's all they would have wanted for me. Let's continue. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him as fast as he can. He pushes these memories far inside himself. That's what I did. And how did I do that? I stuffed them down with Twinkies. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Fear and tension are emotions. As these emotions build, my brain is going to lock in on the sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating those, those foods that I know will produce an, excuse me, an effect. And I eat the foods, I get the effect for about nine seconds. I didn't break my friend's waterbed for about nine seconds. I didn't break my friend's easy chair for about nine seconds. I didn't get stuck in my friend's car. But when the nine seconds is over, I'm back to where I was. Only now I'm eating because I've triggered the physical allergy. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. I'm on page 73. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. One of the things that any psychologist will tell you, and I'm no expert on this, I'm not an expert on any of this, is if you're going to come in and lie to them or make up some story or bullshit them, what's the point? You got to be honest with these people. I can't go to the dentist with a toothache and say, oh, it's not my tooth, it's my foot. You got to tell them which tooth hurts, what's the problem? But yet, oftentimes, you know, we just want to bullshit. For whatever reason, we just want to lie. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Wow. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. I can't think of anybody I was honest with when I was in my disease. S small wonder. Many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance of recovery. Why would they have a good opinion of us when we're liars and we don't do what they say? Bottom of 73, we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religion, religious denomination, which requires confession, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with somebody ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. And there are people within the clergy or within psychology or psychiatry or whatever medicine that completely understand, and that's great. If they understand, they can be helpful. My first choice would be someone in program. 
my first choice would be someone in program because I will pick someone out who understands. Now let's finish the next paragraph. Then I want to talk to you. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth and understanding friend. Closed mouth and understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. You don't have the right to save your skin at the expense of someone else. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. We're going to come back to that sentence. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. What you're looking for is someone who understands the process, who will be unaffected. Let's just take a scenario. Let's just say for now, my best friend's name is Joe. Joe is my best friend. He is great. We hang out together. We are running buddies. We are close buds. We, we go back all the way to green school in September of 1959. We are close, me and Joe. Would Joe's son, Joe's brother, Joe's wife, would they be adequate candidates to listen to my fifth step? Absolutely not. Because I'm going to have resentments and fears about Joe that they don't need to hear. You have no right to dump a carload of dreck onto somebody that is listening to something about someone that they know. You have no right to do that. It's not fair. Now, let's just say, for example, Joe, instead of being my best friend, he's my boss or he's my student or he's my teacher or he's my whatever he is. He goes to meetings with me or, well, meetings would be different, but he goes to whatever with me. No, you want somebody who is knowledgeable yet unaffected. Very, very important that they know what they're doing, yet they're going to be unaffected. Not your wife's brother, not your sister's boss, not somebody that has a direct connection to you in that kind of way. You don't want to be doing that. Bottom of 74. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one who is so situated, there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence. If the person is a blabbermouth, you don't want to be dumping all your stuff on that person. That he fully understand and approve what we are driving at. We just talked about that. That he will not try to change our plan, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. Again, get it done quickly. There's nothing in this book that says, take your time, relax, manana. No, 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 no. 
get it done. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand, very important. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Don't be afraid. Once we have taken this step with holding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. That's why I consider five and nine the great emancipators. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. When I face something really scary, like a roller coaster or something really scary, and I come out the other side, I'm elated. I'm so happy. I'm euphoric. I did something really, really scary. And I, I didn't die. I'm okay. Makes me feel closer to God. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe returning home. This is a very specific instruction. Now we've just read a bunch of promises for step five. All the things I've just read to you are promises. You're going to be able to look the world in the eye. You're going to be close to a spiritual experience. You're going to be able to feel the nearness of your creator. Now we have another instruction and we're ready to move on. Returning home we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, quiet for an hour. That doesn't mean watching television. That doesn't mean doing emails. That doesn't mean doing text messages. It means quiet for an hour, quiet for an hour. <clears throat> Carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. In other words, more prayer. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps, page 59. Carefully reading the first five proposals. What are the first five proposals? The first five steps. We ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Sorry, free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Now let's review in the two minutes we have. To find someone to do a fifth step is infinitely easier today than it was in 1939. There are multitudes of people in different programs that will be happy to help you. All you need to do is ask. Stop waiting for the perfect person. Don't look for the perfect person. Look for someone who can help you. That's number one. Number two. 
when you're listening to the fifth step, number one, keep it moving. Oh, excuse me. Number one, not keep it. Number keep it moving is in there, but number one, point out patterns that you're hearing. Patterns of resentment, patterns of the action of defects, patterns of fears, patterns of sexual harms done others. Point out the defects. Number two, identify with them. Don't patronize them. Don't, oh, you know, kiss their butts, but say to the person, honestly, yes, I had that happen to me too. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Here's my experience, but don't take a bunch of time. Keep it moving. And number three, of course, what did I say? One, two, oh, and three is keep it moving. Sorry, be the adult in the room. Are you being lied to? Are you being BSed? You have to be the adult in the room. And last but not least, do it with a smile on your face. Stop looking at your watch every three seconds. Stop taking phone calls on your cell phone. You want to know the truth when you're listening to a fifth step, turn the freaking cell phone off or do what I do. I keep mine on silent vibrate. Do not take calls. Do not look at your watch every seven seconds. Give the person your attention. They are scared. They deserve you. They deserve that you are paying attention to them. Let them feel like they are important. Do not look at your watch every three seconds and take a, excuse me, I have to take a phone call. If a phone call is that important, then don't make the appointment to do the fifth step. Tell someone that they need to find someone else. If you're really expecting that important of a phone call, don't do that to the person. It marginalizes the situation. And by marginalizing the situation, it really doesn't help anyone. You're trying to get this person to recover, not trying to get the person person to think like you don't give a damn about what they're saying to you. Okay. Very, very important. And last but not least, encourage them at the end that they've done what they needed to do. Now they're supposed to go home for an hour. Remember how scared you were when you did yours? Remember how frightened you were? Do you remember how unsure you were when you sat down with somebody and you didn't quite know how they were going to accept what you had written down? Were they going to kill you? Were they going to call the cops? Were they going to call the ASPCA? Whatever it is, you didn't know. Well, they're scared too. They're frightened too. Now, I didn't cover a lot of ground in the minute we have left. I didn't cover a lot of ground about doing the fifth step. I heard I heard what you said the last few times we've done this. But when you're actually just reading it, it's just, you know, don't bullshit. Put stuff down. Don't worry about doing it perfectly. And choose someone wisely. How do you choose someone wisely? Are they knowledgeable? Are they unaffected? Those are the criterion. Okay, Maria, we're going to turn this over back to you for Q&A. But before we do that, I just want to make two points. Number one, please, if you asked a question last week, please 